Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in multiple locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information on our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. Good morning, Revo Church. Man, I'm glad you guys decided to come hang out with us. My name is Jamie. I'm the Next Step Pastor here. And here's the thing. I'm so glad that you guys get the honor, nay, the privilege of getting to hear me speak today. (laughs) I'm so glad people laughed. If you don't laugh, then it makes me come off kind of, you know, condescending. But I'm so glad that people laughed. But don't worry, next week, Pastor Nathan will be back. We'll be in a new series, but he gave me the honor of closing down this GOAT series. So about two months ago, three months ago, we sat around a table and Nathan asked us the question. He said, what is your goat passage, your greatest passage of all time? And naturally my mind went in two directions. If you're thinking about it, if you're honest, everybody's mind probably goes in one direction. Like, you know, this passage, you probably have it memorized. When you were six years old and you were at a camp for, you were at camp or a VBS, you probably got a piece of candy for having this verse memorized. I'm talking about John 3.16. Come on, y'all know this verse. Like, let's be honest. It is one of the goat passages. It's one of the goat verses. Whether you are a Christian or you're not a Christian, whether you're in church every Sunday or as far from God as humanly possible, you've probably heard this verse before, especially if you're a football fan. There was a guy by the name of Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow, he was a quarterback for Florida Gators. He also quarterback for the Denver Broncos, but one of the things Tebow was famous for was it was called Tebowing. It was called Tebowing. I gotta hike my shorts up, my pants up. What he'd do is this. He, he would get down after he'd do something good. He would get down on one knee like this, one hand, and he'd celebrate. And you'd see kids all in youth sports, especially when I was younger and I was playing sports. I did this, not gonna lie. Where you get down like that, you hit that shot and then you get down, you Tebow. And all the parents and all the coaches are like, oh, how sweet. They're, they're celebrating, like they're praying, they're giving God glory. And I hope that's the case, but let's be honest. They were just Tebowing. Like, it's like if you hit a three today and then you throw your, your threes out, you're trying to be Steph Curry or you're hitting the ice in the veins. You know, it's just a celebration. It was a Tebowing. But there's something greater. Tim Tebow on January 8th, 2009 was the quarterback for Florida Gators. The Florida Gators were in the national championship. And this was the first time that he had his eye black, the stuff under his eyes that said John 3.16 on it. Every time before that, he'd have Philippians 4.13, which is another good verse. You know, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's a great verse. We love that verse. We hold on to that verse. But he had John 3.16 on it. And on that day, in January 8, 2009, over 94 million people searched John 3.16. 94 million people typed in, what is John 3.16? What is on Tim Tebow's eye black? Is John 3.16 the devil? Because let's be honest, we know there's people there that was Googling that. Is John 3.16 good? Like 94 million, that's with an M, people searched that. Fast forward now three years to January 8th, 2012. Tim Tebow's quarterbacking for the Denver Broncos. He again wore his eye black, that famous eye black with the John 3.16 on it. It's one of the first times a professional athlete had had something like that own something with a Bible verse on one of the first times that was nationally televised at that time over 90 million people searched John 3 16 90 million people again googling what is it is it good is it bad why did Tim Tebow do this 90 million people 
to the point where it became the number one trending thing that day on all of social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, on the much superior vine over TikTok. Much superior vine, I'll die on that hill. (laughs) It was the number one trending thing, John 3.16. Talk about a goat verse for a second. Like that is huge. But in my mind, that's not. I listen to a lot of sports podcast shows and there's a guy on there that he makes up words. And he's, I, I kind of stole this from him. I like to coin it. In my mind, John 3.16 is the Sagot, the second greatest of all time. It's the Sagot. To me, the greatest passage is actually from the book of Numbers. You know, that, that, that book that no one knows, the book that you only know it by the pickup line. You know what I'm talking about. You look, you're like, hey, girl, I've been reading the book of Numbers recently and uh, yours wasn't in it. Can I, can I get that number? Trust me, guys, it works. I got married. I can't guarantee if it was because of, the, because of the pickup line, but I did get married. So try it out. Let me know how it goes. We're going to be camping out in the book of Numbers today. If you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 21. If you have an iPhone or an iPad, you can go to Numbers chapter 21. If you're like me, the much superior race with the Samsung, Numbers chapter 21. Or if you just have eyelids, you can open them up. It'll be on screen. Uh, but before we do that, let's pray. Lord, just... Thank you for this time. God, I pray that as we dive into your word, as, as we look at who you are, God, I pray that you would eliminate distractions. I pray that, God, that if there's people that don't know you, that maybe this would be the time. God, maybe they do, and this would be the moment where they say, I need to come back. Lord, I pray that everything that I say, everything that is done is all your words and not mine. In your name I pray, amen. Numbers chapter 21 We're going to start off in verse four. Again, it's one of my favorite passages ever. In my mind, this is the goat. Numbers 21, verse four. It says, from Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on their way. So during this time, the nation of Israel is wandering the desert. If you remember all the way back from last summer, we did a series called Exodus. Side note, if you like my preaching, I'm on there on the podcast in North Campus. If you just want to find it, you know, just hear more of me. I'm there. But (laughs) the nation of Israel at this point is wandering the desert. They just got freed from slavery. They were in Egypt. They got freed. You had the 10 plagues. They got out. They walked across dry ground. And God looked at the nation and said, I'm going to give you a land, a promised land, if you will, because he promised it to them. He said, I'm going to give you a land. And so what the nation of Israel did is they sent spies into the land. The spies went in, they searched everything. They looked The spies come back and they said, we can't go. These people, the Canaanites, they're huge. We can't go into that land. They're going to kill us. Because of that, all the people in Israel, all the nation was looking at Moses, the guy that led them. And it's like, Moses, why would you do this? Why would you take us out of Egypt where we were comfortable? Yeah, we were slaves, but we had comfort. We knew what was going to happen. Why would you take us out just to kill us at the hands of the Canaanites? They're looking at God and saying, God, why would you do this to us? They're crying out. Because of that, God made a decree saying, none of this generation can enter the promised land. None of that generation of Israel could enter the promised land. So now fast forward to Numbers chapter 21. At this point, this is right near the end of the 40 years where they were wondering. Most of the old generation, most of the generation that was told they could not get into the promised land had died off. This was the new generation. They weren't kids anymore. They're growing up, they're taking charge, they're leading, and they can see the land. They can see the promised land. 
In fact, just three verses earlier in Numbers 21, we see that God gives this nation, the nation of Israel, this new generation of people, the people that are promised the land, we see that they were given victory over Canaan, over the people that their fathers were terrified of, the people that are inhabiting the land that they're promised, they were given victory over it. That's wild. Fresh off of that victory, though, verse 4 tells us something very interesting about the people. It told us that they become impatient on their way. See, this new generation of people, they become impatient. They're getting tired of constantly having to wonder. They're getting tired of constantly being nomadic because they know they have a promise. They can see the land. If you know geography, where they're at is right on the border of the promised land. But instead of getting to go in it, they're forced to go around it. Instead of going into the land, they have to go around it. And they're getting tired and they're getting impatient. Here's the thing. This isn't the point of this message, but I think it'll hit, maybe it'll hit home for somebody. If not, maybe it'll just hit for me. Maybe this is a nit, just a knock at me, but this is just a key note here. I believe that impatience will often lead you to bad choices. Again, that's not the purpose of this message, but you'll see that throughout this story. And I think it's very important to life. I think impatience will lead you to bad choices as you'll find out. Numbers chapter 21, verse five, continuing on. It says this, it says, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no food, there's no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Because of their impatience, the people of Israel start crying out against God. They start crying out against Moses. Does it remind you of anybody? Maybe their fathers? What happened just earlier? They're crying out saying, God, why did you do this to us? Why did you bring us here just to make us wonder? We can see the land, but we can't get in. Why are you doing this to us? You know, the same God that protects them every night. The same God that gives them food every day. Again, that Exodus series, we talked about what is manna. The word manna is literally described as what is it? It's defined as what is it? The food God gave them every single day was food that they had no idea what it was. They had never seen it. They never heard of it. It was brand new to them. And they called it, what is it? Well, it's God's giving us provision. That same God, they're crying out saying, God, why are you doing this? The same God that was giving them water from rocks. They're saying, God, why are you doing this? We're tired of it. They're looking at Moses and they're saying, Moses, why are you leading us here? We're tired. We want a home. I don't want to wonder anymore. They're crying out against them. They're speaking out because of their impatience, because they're not willing to wait. They're crying out. They could see the land, yet they couldn't get in. They could see the promises that God made for them, yet they couldn't have it yet. And so they're crying out. Ultimately, they're crying out as disobedience because God's calling them to be patient. And they're crying out, so the disobedience on that is causing it to be sin because they're crying out and not wanting to do what God's wanting them to do. They're not wanting to listen and to wait. They're wanting it now. And it's ultimately sin because they're crying out. So listen to what happens. Verse six, it says, the Lord, then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel had died because they cried out against Moses because of their sin of disobedience. God sent immediate punishment. 
God sent immediate serpents to come and bite the people. And it said many people of Israel had died. Now think about this. That was God's chosen people. The people of Israel were God's people. We've mentioned it. He rescued them out of Egypt. He provided them food from heaven that they'd never heard before, never seen before. He provided water from rocks. How mind-blowing is that? And these are God's people that three verses earlier, four verses earlier, he gave them victory over Canaan. And yet, because of their sin, God sent fiery serpents. The chosen people were being bitten and were being killed because of their sin. And now a lot of us here, we hear that passage and we're like, well, God must not be good then. Why would God do that? (laughs) If these are God's people, why would God send snakes to kill the people if they're his people? And we want to look at that and blame God saying, wow, God is just horrible. That's not it at all. Because see, we know that there was immediate punishment, immediate consequences. We know that sin has consequences. We know that there has to be punishment. They cried out for God and unlucky for them, their punishment came immediately in the form of snakes. Something that I think gets looked over is the fact that that's just and that's right on God's part. They did wrong and that deserve punishment because light and dark don't mix perfection and sinfulness does not mix light and dark if you turn on a light switch the darkness flees why because light and dark don't mix you can't have it it's impossible I've tried trust me I've tried light and dark don't mix that shows us that no matter what whether you're a Christian or you're as far from God as humanly possible your sin has consequences there is consequences that leads us to our first point today it's very simple Sin equals death. It's very simple. I like to keep it simple. Scientific method. Sin equals death. Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. Straight up. It's a fact. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Sin equals death. Sin equals total separation from God. If you are a Christian, that sin breaks the fellowship between you and God. If you're a Christian, it breaks that relationship you have between you and your family, between you and your spouse, you and your kids. It breaks that relationship. It fractures it. If you're not a Christian, that sin totally separates you from God, eternally separating you because sin equals death. No matter what, it's a flat out truth. You can't run from it. You can't hide it. And the sad part is there's nothing we can do about it. The book of Isaiah talks about how the greatest deed we've ever done, the greatest thing you've ever done in your life, said is just filthy rags to God. The greatest thing you've ever done said is just filthy rags when it comes to God. Because we are sinful people. All have sinned. All have fallen short. All means all. I had a pastor tell me one time, all means all. And that's all, all means. Shelby would be happy that I quoted that. But... All have sinned. We have all sinned. We are all dying. I joke with the students at the North Campus that I'm never going to die. And they look at me and are like, well, you're old. I'm like, yeah, but I'm never going to die. But this grim reality is I'm going to. Sin equals death. There's no way around it. It has consequences. Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, it breaks the fellowship with God. And if you don't know Jesus, it eternally separates you. Look at the rest of the story. Numbers 21, verses 7 through 9. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord 
that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Because of the serpents, because of the punishment, because of what was happening, the people realized that they had sinned. I think we do that as Christians a lot of times. I think we do that as people. We don't like to admit that we are wrong until we start feeling the consequences from it. We don't like to admit that we did something until there's an after effect. (laughs) I find it also personally interesting that we know that all sin goes against God. Ultimately, everything you've ever done, every lie, every bad thing, it ultimately goes against God and God alone because God is creator. And as people, we are made in the image and likeness of God. Genesis talks about that, how we are made in his image and his likeness. We are image bearers. And so everything wrong we do ultimately goes against God. But what I think we don't do is I don't think we realize what the Israelites realized. They came and they talked to Moses. They said, Moses, we sinned against God, but we also sinned against you. What would it look like today if as a church, as people, as the body of Christ, when we sin, we go to the people that it affects and we ask for forgiveness, not just going to God. We should go to God. It is ultimately against God, but it also affects your family. It affects your spouse. It affects your kids. It affects your friends. What would it look like if when we sinned, we go to those people and hey, look, I'm just saying, like, I'm pulling this from scripture. That's not me. I'm just saying, I know some of you are like, I don't want to tell people that I've done bad things. I get it. But what would that look like? That'd be powerful. Well, the people went to Moses and they said, Moses, pray for us. We've sinned. We're confessing our sin. Now pray for us. See, this is an Old Testament practice. Today, we have Jesus. We can pray to God. We can pray to the creator at any point, in any time, however we want. In the Old Testament, it was different. They had a mediator. Moses was the mediator. The people would have to go to Moses and then Moses would go to God and then God would speak to Moses and then Moses would speak to the people. It was a mediator. If they wanted to talk to God, they had to make sacrifices. They had to do all these different things. Today, we can just pray. We can cry out to God at any point. And so they looked at Moses and they said, Moses, pray for us. Ask that God would remove the snakes. We know we did wrong and just ask that he would take away the snakes. We're not asking that he heal our dead loved ones. We're not asking that he would save those of us that got bit already. We're just asking that he would remove the snakes from us. Just get rid of them. So God answered their prayers and said, instead, instead of taking away the snakes, he said, I'm going to offer you a chance to be healed. He told Moses, he said, Moses, I want you to take the best bronze smith you know. And I want you to take them and tell them to smith a serpent. And I want you to cast it and I want you to put it on a pole. And he said, Moses, I want you to put that pole in the middle of camp, in the middle where everyone can see it and tell the people if they're bitten by a snake to just look at that pole. Just look up at the snake on the pole and they'll be healed. They'll be saved. Now, personally, I like to think that I am a logical person. I try to think logical. I married a wife who's very logical to kind of help me become more logical And so I want us to all, for a minute, congratulations, you are now an Israelite in Numbers chapter 21. You are in this scenario. Your family has been bitten by snakes. Your your parents got bit last week and they died. Your kid got bit two days ago and he died. And you tried everything. 
You tried when they got bit to, you know, suck the poison out of the bite wound, didn't work. You took them to the best healers and the best doctors, it didn't work. You turned and you put the essential oils on them and you rubbed it over them and it didn't work. They all died. And now you just got bit. You got bit by that same snake. And then you look and Moses tells you, just look up. You'll be healed, just look up. I don't know, for me personally, that's a hard bargain. That's a hard thing for me to believe that I could just look up and that snake bite would be gone. When I've seen my family pass away from it, I've seen friends pass away from it. And you're telling me I can just look up. Here's the thing about this passage. This passage in Numbers isn't the goat because it stands alone on its own. It's not the greatest of all time because it stands alone on its own. Although it does, and I love it. It's actually the goat because this is a perfect representation of Jesus. You don't believe me, he actually references it. He says this, John chapter three, the most forgotten verses in the Bible. John chapter three, verse 14 and 15. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. He said, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus references back to that story. Jesus references back to the time when the Israelites were being bitten and killed and Moses put a snake on a pole and said, look up and you'll be saved. Jesus references back to that and said, so must I, the son of man, be lifted up. If you study the Bible, that's what's called a type. A type is anything that is set to show something in the future. So for example, the snake on the pole was a type of Jesus on the cross. They mimic each other, they mirror each other. And so we see that the snake that Moses put up for the Israelites ultimately symbolized Christ for us on the cross. If they looked up at the snake, they weren't looking up for the bronze serpent to heal them. They were looking up at God to heal them because they were told that God would heal them If they looked up, they're putting their faith in God, not in a bronze serpent. See, as Christians, our sin is destroying us. Our sin is causing punishment. Like, think about it. The things that are bad in your life, the things that are attacking you, the things that hurt, you can probably trace that back to sin. If you're a (laughs) non-Christian, eternal separation, no presence of God, Our sin is killing us. Our sin, whether we want to believe it or not, Christian, non-Christian, in the middle, don't know, no matter what, our sin is killing us. Sin equals death. But here's the beauty of that statement. If sin equals death, then our second point is this, Jesus equals life. If sin equals death, then that must mean Jesus equals life. The second part of Romans 6.23, the first part, The wages of sin is death. But the second part, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is the one that gives us life. The verse that we do know, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then the verse no one knows, 317. For Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus came to give us life. He came to save us. He came to give us mercy and grace that we did not deserve. Just like Moses was pleading with the people when they were bit to look up at the pole, 
Now Jesus is crying out from the cross saying, look at me because I can save you. Look at me because I can do it. No one else can do it. Nothing else can save you. He said, I come to give you grace. I came to give you mercy. I came because I love you and I'm here for you. Just look at me. Jesus equals life. He equals life. Nothing else can do it. We talked about how our greatest thing is just a dirty rag to God. Jesus in John 14 said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no one can come to the Father except through me. It's Jesus. It's just Jesus. It always has been. It always will be. There's no other way. There's nothing else. It doesn't matter how good you are. You're not good enough. It doesn't matter how hard you work. You're never going to work hard enough. It doesn't matter how accepting you are or how loving you are. You're never going to do it. It doesn't matter if you come to Revo and you serve and you're a member and you give. That's great. But it's not going to save you. It's just Jesus. It always has been. It always will be. It's only Jesus. Nothing else. My third point, it's really a reflection for us, is this. Will you look? Will you look to Jesus to save you? Let's be honest in the room. The gospel is tough. The gospel is admitting that we can't do it. See, I'm a man. I don't like to admit that. I don't like to admit that there's problems I can't solve. I'm a problem solver. I'm a fixer. I'm a doer. If there's an issue, I want to fix it. If there's a problem, I'm jumping in. And the gospel is literally saying, we can't solve that problem. The gospel is saying, I can't do it, but Jesus can. It's setting our pride aside and saying that I am not good enough. I will never be good enough. But I have Jesus and he's good enough. Here's the sad reality of Numbers chapter 21. The sad reality is that although their prayer was answered, although they had the cure for their problem, many Israelites died by snake bites. Even though Moses told them, just look up and you'll be healed. Look up and you'll be saved. Many Israelites died because they wouldn't look up. The sad reality of the church today, the grim reality is this. The gospel has been plainly laid out. The severity of sin has been exposited through this text. And yet I believe there's people, maybe even people sitting here today, that won't look up. I believe there's people all across America that go to churches and they serve and they give and they're members. And yet they never looked up because they were just trying to check a box. They were trying to do it themselves. And we can't. It's just Jesus. Nothing else. When I was studying this passage, I came across this quote, and I think it shows us very well. So I want to read it to you. This quote says this. It said, both methods are stumbling to human reason. What to any thinking Israelite could seem more unlikely than that a deadly poison should be dried up in his body by simply looking on a reptile of brass. <laughs> Such a stumbling block to the Jews and to the Greeks. Foolishness was faith in the crucified Nazarene as a way of deliverance from eternal perdition. The gospel is hard 
because it's admitting that I'm not good enough. The gospel is hard because it's admitting that I can't do it. And I never will be. I'll never be able to. The gospel is admitting that I need Jesus. It's admitting that I need him to do it. The beauty though is that Jesus came to give us life. If sin equals death, then Jesus equals life because he came to give us life. He came, like John 3, 16 and 17 said, not to condemn us, but to save us because he loves us, because he loves you. Anytime I read that, anytime I read John 3, 16, I read it, for God so loved me that he sent his son to save me because it's true. He came for you. He came for me because he loves us. Like Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is crying out to just look at me, to just come to me. He's saying, I've done it for you. Everything you're struggling with, I've beat. I'm offering you forgiveness. He's saying, you're sitting in an unlocked cage. Just walk out and come to me question really is this will you look to Jesus stand with us as we pray Lord I pray that as we studied your word as we look at this passage God I pray that God you would move in hearts God if there's people that are here that don't know you that God they wouldn't wait another minute if they would come to you. You are crying out for them because you love them and you took their place. God, if there's people here that maybe they do know you, but they don't realize that their sin is severe. They, they're living with that snake bite. They got bit and they came to you, but then they got bit again and they're just trying to live with it and hold it in. That God, that they would turn to you because we can't do it. We can't save ourselves, but you can and you did. God, I pray that you would move in hearts because God, only you can do it. It's always been you and you're so good. It's in your name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Revo podcast. We believe everyone has a next step to take in their relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information on what that means for you or if you have any questions about today's message, please email us at info at discoverrevo.com.